Hi, everyone. Welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week nine of the 2018-2019 curling season. This week, we welcome a couple of familiar faces in new places to the podcast, as both Mike McCune and Val Sweeting join us to discuss their transition to new teams this season. Speaking of transitions, we will also be joined by a From the Hack favorite, Mark Kennedy, who despite having stepped away from regular competition on the World Curling Tour this season, made time this weekend to win a mixed doubles event along with Rachel Holman. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedice, whose in-ice graphics from easy and textile logos to the world-famous Jedice Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedice customizable full houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.ashim.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks recap of week 9 of the 2018-2019 curling season is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit www.curlingzone.com. The headline event on the men's tour this weekend was the Canadiens Classic in Portage La Prairie. As always, a top field assembled in Portage and the final came down to a battle of Alberta between Team Botcher and Team Cooey. It was the reigning two-time Alberta champs that took the title as Team Botcher scored a 7-5 victory in the final. Meanwhile, many of the top women's teams in Europe made their way to Basel on the weekend for the Women's Masters Basel. The playoffs were dominated by home teams, with four Swiss teams reaching the semis. In the final, it was Team Stern defeating Team Felcher by a score of 6-4. At the driving force Abbotsford Cash Peel in British Columbia, Sarah Work and her team from Chilliwack defeated Corinne Brown and her team from Kamloops 8-3 in the final. In the men's event, it was Team Matsumura of Japan defeating Team Giel of Kelowna by a score of 7-1 to win the championship. At the Stroud Sleeman Cash Peel in Stroud, Ontario, Team Gardner of Burlington defeated Team Marshall of Kitchener 5-4 in the women's final, while John Wilsey defeated Corey Hegstad 8-1 in the men's final. 
And at the Atkins Curling Supplies Classic, Corey Chambers won a Battle of Winnipeg when he defeated Ty DeLillo in the men's final, while Barb Spencer won the women's final over Christy Wadling, whose team was looking for their second title of the young season. The Sherwood Park Mixed Doubles Classic involved a variety of teams ranging from Olympic World and National Champions to Junior Curlers, and it was the well-decorated team of Rachel Homan and Mark Kennedy that won the final 6-4 over the team of Bobby Sauter and Sean Donnelly. Mark Kennedy joined from the hack to discuss winning the title in Sherwood Park, and we also discussed whether he and Rachel might compete together again this season, and now he's remained involved in curling despite stepping away from the World Curling Tour to start this new Olympic cycle. So Mark, you had decided to step away from the sport to start the current Olympic cycle, but how long does it take someone to say yes when Rachel Homan calls to ask if you want to play some mixed doubles? Yeah, yeah it, doesn't, it doesn't take very long, uh, but it was me that actually made the phone call to her. Long story short, I, um, I've had a good five or six months here of, of, you know, trying to get healthy and doing some training, and uh, I needed to test what it felt like in a game situation. Um, I'd thrown a few rocks here and there, but that's not the same. So, you know what, there was a, an event close to home here, and, and I thought, um, you know, I've always enjoyed playing mixed doubles, and I thought maybe there was an opportunity to play with one of the best players out there if she was free for the weekend, so I asked her, and uh, it worked out, and we... Had a great time, and, uh, you know, she's an incredible curler, so it was a great opportunity for me, and we had a lot of fun. It uh, must be fun getting the chance to reintroduce yourself to elite curling by teaming up with one of the better shot makers in the world. It's, it's kind of funny playing with her because you, you actually call the game as though as though you have a skip that can make every single shot, which she can. You know, you, you're certainly not uh, discriminating between whether it's a male or a female. She just has every shot in the bag. So you, you call the game accordingly, and she usually makes it. Now, to be fair, the field in Sherwood Park wasn't exceptionally deep with some junior teams involved and some recreational teams involved, but I'm wondering how long it took for your competitive juices to start flowing at the event. Yeah, it, it doesn't take long, and I, hadn't, I haven't played a game since May, so, you know, just getting out there and, you know, trying to make shots and score points, and yeah, it doesn't take long for those competitive juices to get flowing. But like you said, the, the, the field at Sherwood Park had all ranges of teams from from the really good teams to some young junior teams that actually stepped up from the from the rec division last year into the competitive division this year. So, you know, you kind of had to keep your competitive juices um, at a level according to who you were playing. Um, but uh, it was just nice to get out there and play. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, uh, for me personally, I, I love the game. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure how long I would be away or when my next game would be or how my hip would feel or all that stuff. So... Just getting out there and making some shots and curling in no pain was uh, was a ton of fun for me. I guess the obvious follow-up question, Mark, is uh, should we expect you and Rachel to team up for other mixed doubles events this season in the hope of qualifying for the Canadian Championship? Well, I mean, there's always potential, but obviously Rachel's team is the priority for her. So I know she has some training weekends booked on those weekends for Banff and Portage. Uh, so I don't think that you'll see her and I play again. Uh, in any of those events this season. Part of the question for her was whether she was going to play in mixed doubles nationals or not. And I know you have to play a certain amount of events in order to qualify for that. Um, I wasn't I wasn't able to play in mixed doubles nationals. Uh, there's a conflict with my uh, junior bonspiel here in St. Albert. So, you know, there was a few things kind of up in the air as to whether we would play again or if she would compete or... Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, it's not the priority. Her priority is her team, and my priority was uh, getting some rest and, and getting healthy again. So 
I don't think we'll end up playing another event together this season, but um, but who knows what the what the future holds. I, I'd certainly be willing to, to play with her again if she would play with me, and we'll see uh, what happens in the next couple of years. One of the more popular discussion points I've heard among curling fans since you stepped away at the end of last season is when you'd be coming back to the men's tour and with whom. I'm not going to ask you that question, but I'm wondering how you've been enjoying your time away so far, and more importantly, how much of a transition it is for you as an elite athlete when your life had been so focused on one sport and the routine brought on by that sport for so many years. Yeah, that's a that's a big question. It's been an interesting transition. I've actually really enjoyed the time at home. I've enjoyed not having to do all the stuff that comes with the a competitive team making a run for, you know, a Briar title and a world title. So I've enjoyed uh, kind of taking a break from that. Um, I've enjoyed working out and doing lots of training. Uh, but the one thing I did kind of discover over the f- summer and over the four months is that is that I don't want to not be involved in the game. You know, I had about four months where I was focused on some other things and doing other stuff, and I could still feel myself being pulled back into the sport I love. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean competing at the elite level, you know, whether it was uh, coaching some juniors or, or even just watching some curling and helping some teams out, um, you know, getting excited about our junior spiel. I just wanted to be around the community of curling and the sport, so I, I've managed to do that with some with some help. You know, I've got uh, a big ally in Jerry Peckham at Curl Canada, and, and he's kind of helped me in you know, allowed me to still stay involved while I get healthy and rest and recover and decide if I want to get back into the elite part of men's curling because that's a huge, huge commitment to compete with these incredible teams these days. So, you know, I don't exactly know what the future holds, um, but I I do know that one way or another it'll be um, within the sport of curling for sure. And finally, Mark, I've already had a few players from elite women's teams tell me that they spent some time with you during the offseason to help them prepare for the new cycle and that they quite appreciated your input. How are you liking the role of curling consultant and what are some of the things you like to focus on when talking with players about both the on and off ice work that is necessary to build a team that can eventually position itself for a spot at the Olympic trials and hopefully a spot at the 2022 Olympics in Beijing? Yeah, well, that's... uh... That's pretty cool that they've actually mentioned that. I, I certainly have enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I'm the type of person that I don't – I like to share those experiences, and I like to try to help other people get better. You know, it, it's not – they're not really secrets I want to keep to myself, I guess. So I've really enjoyed sitting with teams that, you know, kind of look at me like, what can we do to get better? And, you know, to be able to offer some insight and to let them know what the next four years looks like if you want to win and – you know, it's not always going to be pretty, and here's some things you got to think about and talk about and, you know, learn from some of my mistakes. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. And, uh, the, you know, that was one of the reasons I, I took on a coaching consulting role with, with Curl Canada was to help those teams that are just kind of on the brink. You know, I love working with junior teams, and I love the development side of the sport and getting them into the game, but, but my passion really is with those teams that are just on the brink of success. You know, what are those little things they can do to just get over the hump and win some big events? Um, and, and to know that those teams are open to listening to me and that I can share some of that experience, yeah, it's cool. I love it. And, uh, you know, I haven't had a ton of experience with it yet, but, but what I have done, um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And the one thing I've enjoyed that I didn't expect was actually sitting behind the glass and watching curling games and being engaged in, you know, what those teams are doing on the ice and what their communication is like and, you know, what are some shots they're missing and um, I've enjoyed that 
and uh, it's certainly a lot easier on the body being on that side of the glass. If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline Curling. For those who play with the ice pad, they know it's the best curling brush. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster, or women's Olympic gold medalist Sweden's Team Hasselberg, and their countrymen Team Adin, or how about the top Canadian teams, Team Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, Team Carruthers, Kerry Anderson, and Chelsea Carey. The list is endless. And Hardline is not just curling brooms. They offer a full range of curling equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel, and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and see why the top teams in the world choose Hardline for their equipment needs. Our next guest this week is Mike McCune, who made a big splash late last season when he announced that he was breaking up with his team of 11 years and was moving on to play third for Reed Carruthers. Mike joined from the hack to discuss his first title with his new team on Thanksgiving weekend, and we also discuss how the transition to a new team is progressing so far. Mike, I know it was still really early in the season, but it had to be nice for you and the rest of the team to get that first win as a new lineup out of the way at these two cells in Toronto on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, to be honest, uh, a little bit unexpected, I think. You know, it's, uh, it's a bit of a learning curve right now uh, for, for the team. And, uh, you know, to have, to have two really good results uh, early in the year is uh, kind of a bit of gravy uh, at, this, at this point in the season. Now, curling teams obviously break up all the time, Mike, especially at the end of a cycle. However, many in the curling community seem to be more melancholic about your team with BJ, Danny, and Matt, perhaps because you had been together for 11 years. So I'm going to ask you just one question about the team that you split up with at the end of last year. It basically seemed like we were witnessing the breakup of people that didn't really want to break up, but knew that it was time. Was that representative of the vibe within the old lineup at the end of last season? Yeah, I, I think that's fairly accurate. The the big thing that was you know we we had had so much growth as a team and and uh, and uh, you know we had found ways to 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 spur new growth out of almost necessity because we had been together for so long and and some of that had come through heartbreak and and not achieving uh, you know some of our ultimate goals um, but uh, you know we I don't think there's any regrets on you know on on our path and. and how close we came to accomplishing some of the things we wanted to. And it was more of a decision that, uh, you know, I think for each of us in our own different way, just had to see if, uh, you know, if, if there was uh, just just something else out there that, you know, spurred, spurred a little bit more out of us as athletes. And, and uh, you know, it, it was just, it was kind of just that time where, where we had to unfortunately go our different ways. It wasn't that we we needed to do that to you know to be a good team or anything like that you know to be to be uh you know potentially you know have more success it was just you know something that we had to go go and do uh and and hopefully it works out for each guy it, it might not but um you know we we definitely had a very successful team and kind of felt like we still went out even playing um you know we had one of our best best seasons uh, our last year together out of you know out of the out of the last three or four years there so tell me how you experienced the past off season it was the first time in some 11 years that you would start the season with new teammates did you train any differently were you more anxious for the start of the season than you may have been over the past several years let's say yeah um, for sure I trained differently um I just I have a different role so <laughs> that that's new for me uh, I definitely have to be in you know in in tip-top form, uh, 
to, to perform in the role that I'm uh, that I'm occupying. It's you know there's the Haji doesn't like to throw things heavy, so <laughs> he's, he's pushing me already this year. So uh, definitely the training was different. Um, I actually found you know believe it or not you know it is exciting going with a new team, but I found motivation was strange. I, I don't know if it's that quadrennial trying to get to the Olympics, that hangover effect, uh, you know, the, the team, the, the breakup, like almost like a breakup of a very long-term relationship. You know, there's some sort of hangover effect that when I stepped on the ice early in the season, motivation, it, it was strange. Um, didn't feel normal. I felt kind of lost. So, yeah, that was very very different feeling starting the year um and kind of you know you're just in a situation where you you're a bit lost uh you're a bit anxious you don't really know what to expect uh so yeah it's kind of working through that and and building a new team is just something just so foreign you know that i haven't done for over a decade so it's a it's a completely new new process for me and you know hopefully hopefully that that kind of challenge really you know spurs hopefully a little bit of uh, new growth in me as an athlete. Uh, hopefully I can find just another little bit as far as performance uh, out of myself. Um, you know, that'll, that'll pay dividends towards, uh, you know, the new team for others. One of the interesting dynamics heading into this season with your new team is the fact that Reed is calling the games, but that you're throwing Fort Stones. Did you and Reed sit down before the season started so that you could go through how you like to set up ends in a way that leaves you with the type of shots you prefer with your final two stones? This obviously is a switch for Reed, who has spent the past several seasons calling ends to set himself up for the last two stones. Yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than, you know, sitting down and having uh, one conversation. <laughs> it's... uh you know, and, and that's probably, that's our biggest challenge going forward is, you know, the start of the end, you know, Reed's, Reed's calling those first four and then very much the reins are handed, handed off to me for the, for the last four, even for Reed shots, um, you know, we're, we're definitely like co-skips. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. Uh, it, it's really difficult to go through all of that in a short amount of time as far as what guys like to see and play. And we, we do come from different backgrounds as far as um, how we manage the game. Um, I didn't realize how different that was, actually. So, you know, because of that difference, we, we really are starting to try to make a, a you know, a brand-new game plan. Um, it's really trying to meld the two styles together, and it's it's not easy. Uh, it's, uh, you know, at times it can be dysfunctional, right? You're going back and forth and you know you don't have as much flow as you would like during a game you, you might take uh you know a few moments where you have a little bit too much chatter out there uh between guys you know calling shots and and uh you know so that those kind of things are, are really important for us to work through especially the first two months of the season two two three months uh that's uh that's not something that's easy to get on the same page as a result of what you just discussed, are you and the team looking at this season as more of a transition year where results will be a bonus, but it's more about setting yourselves up for the remainder of the cycle? I realize you want to qualify for majors and the Briar, et cetera, but is the main focus this season to simply find your groove as a team? Yeah, I, I think we have to be okay with uh, having a bit of a bumpy ride here and there. You know, first event didn't go very well. 
And, uh, you know, fortunately, we've had uh, two pretty good events back-to-back. But um, it's, yeah, there's going to be some bumps and there's going to be some failures. And and uh, the, the biggest thing is, is, is really getting as much learning done this first year as, as, as much as possible. You know, there's not as much pressure to to build up, like, like you mentioned, the points and all that. But, but I mean, it still matters. Uh, you know, you, you want to be part of the national team program. You want to make sure you're, you know, you're in the Canada Cups and, and the Grand Slams. Uh, you know, you don't want to be missing any of those events. So, uh, you know, there definitely is some, some level of performance that needs to happen so that you can keep your standing for, to be involved in these events, you know, when the trial point race starts. Um, if you're not playing in those events, that's a bit of a problem. So, uh, yeah, but not as much of pressure for us to, you know, try to be right at the top. But, uh, you know, definitely want to have a, a reasonable season that still keeps us involved in all all the programs that we need to be in. And, you know, we, we have really good sponsors that back us too. And uh, I think, you know, for everybody's benefit, we you know, we're happy that, uh, you know, we've put some good results on the board early. And, you know, hopefully through the expecting a bumpy road throughout the season we can still at times be be really good and and uh and hopefully have some some good uh deep runs and in, into some events another part of this transition is that you are now having to sweep four rocks per end aside from perhaps getting familiar with muscles you forgot you had what has been the most challenging or surprising thing you've had to adapt to when it comes to sweeping yeah the, the sweeping's not too bad i i mean i I'm in an advantageous position where I actually get the rest for a number of shots before I even throw my own. So it's not like I'm, you know, pounding one of, you know, Derek or Collins rocks end to end and then having to jump in the hack and throw. Uh, you know, I, I definitely have an advantage to get my heart rate down before before I throw my stones. I, I guess the biggest, the biggest difference, though, is just being at the other end and seeing how the game the game plan unfolds and uh and ha- and having that perspective instead of being where Reed is and that's the biggest challenge for me I, I think is is how do I maximize uh what I'm seeing in my situation and and bringing that when 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 Reed and I come together at the other end and sort of switch roles up so that's, that's my biggest challenge is Kind of uh, figuring out what my role looks like and 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 how to how to adapt to that as smoothly as I can. It's 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 not easy. It's it's uh you know it can be uncomfortable at times and and at times I probably you know perhaps I'm saying too much to read or or, or vice versa. You know we're we're still figuring out those kind of communications. So that's uh, going to be the biggest adaptation for me is just that whole new perspective where I'm hanging out with the front end and seeing the game uh, from that end uh, for a good, you know, good portion of, uh, of any time I'm out there on the ice. 
And finally, Mike, you've always given me thoughtful answers when I ask you bigger picture questions about curling. The sport has gotten to a point now where the scheduling demands on players almost require them to be full-time curlers, but many curlers still aren't bringing in enough income to avoid having a side gig, understanding that several elite players have jobs that allow them a bunch of flexibility. What do you think needs to happen next to bridge that gap? How close are we to the point where each of the slam-level teams will essentially be full-time curlers? Are we anywhere near to the point where you can see the light at the end of that tunnel? Yeah, holy smokes, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I, that's that's the dream, I think, as as any athlete who loves playing a sport, uh, you know, to have the opportunity to do that full time and 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 make a good living. That that would be that would be the dream. I, you, there's still a ton of growth that needs to be done, and we can't just do that in Canada. That's that's. Uh, that's not really, you know, that's not going to take us take take the sport where it needs to go solely. I, I think a lot of international growth. Um, I'm hoping the World Cups is a is a step in that direction. I, I really hope that there uh, could be some growth, uh, you know, south of the border in the in the U.S. Uh, you know, if, if there's any way to capitalize on 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 some of the successes the U.S. teams have had lately and 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 to have some some big events in the U.S., uh, I think that would pay pay off uh, long term for curling. But uh, yeah, we're we're just you know I, I see it at the end of the tunnel where you know structurally we we could have sort of uh, a professional full time type situation, but uh, you know unfortunately unless uh, you know like Team Adine was for a period of time very very heavily funded by the government. Um, you know that was their sole job, uh, but uh, you know that doesn't happen. That's kind of you know it's hit and miss within the sport. Very very few can really uh, legitimately make a living at it. Um, it's kind of uh, you don't have a lot of job security either. <laughs> so so you know right now it's uh, yeah I see that light at the end of the tunnel, but there's just so much work to do to to get the sport where we're talking about you know having quite a quite a large amount of, you know, professional athletes. It's just, uh, I think we're quite away from that situation, uh, unfortunately. Uh, probably, uh, I'm thinking it's beyond my career span. But, um, you know, it, uh, I, I feel really fortunate to be playing this time in this sport just because there is so much growth with, you know, Sportsnet going to Grand Slams. And, you know, now we have some the WCF really creating uh, hopefully, uh, you know, a long-standing World Cup series, and you know, we 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 do have some some television growth really happening and and driving the sport. So I hope that that continues. Uh, that'll make a big impact, I think, long term. Before we move on to our final guest of the week, I wanted to remind you that From the Hack is part of the Curling Podcast Network along with the Two Girls in a Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast. If you haven't subscribed to those two podcasts yet, you should really check them out. Meanwhile, next week on From the Hack, we will recap the World Mixed Curling Championship from Kelowna, BC. We'll also recap the Canadians Women's Event and the China Open, where Canada is represented by Team Gushu and Team Jones. Our feature interview next week will be with the pioneer of curling podcast, Dean Gemmel. Now, on to our final guest this week, who, not unlike Mike McCune, is a familiar face in a new place this season. Val Sweeting joined forces with Kerry Anderson this season on a team that has already won four events together. Val joined from the hack to discuss her team's big win at the Autumn Gold event on Thanksgiving weekend, and also to talk about the transition to a new team and moving from skip to third. 
Val, you and the rest of Team Anderson have had a bunch of success early in the season, but the autumn goal that you won a couple of weekends ago was by far the strongest field you played against in an event that you've won. How did it feel to win a title against a field like that, which was about as tough as you will get outside of the Slams, the Canada Cup, and some World Curling Federation events? Oh, yeah, it's confidence-boosting for sure. Um, we we haven't played a lot of those teams yet, so we we're looking forward to that event. There's always a strong field in Calgary. And we just set our goals on qualifying for the playoffs, and we took the long way there, but we were happy to to make it into the playoffs. And then we just kind of took it game by game from there. We we snuck out a game against Schneider that, uh, you know, we probably shouldn't have, but uh, uh, unfortunately that's how the game goes sometimes. But, uh, yeah, we, we kind of got lucky there, and then we just kind of, kept it rolling through the next two games and yeah we were just happy to get some experience get some games in against that field and we're pretty happy that we came out on top that weekend. Now obviously a lot was expected of your team heading into this season that being said it's not uncommon for new lineups to take some time to find their groove. Mark Kennedy once told me that it took Team Cooey upwards of a year to fully click when they got together at the start of the last Olympic cycle. Can you perhaps talk about the work you have done both on and off the ice that has allowed your team to gel more quickly than most people would have thought possible? Yeah we're I think that we're happy with the we we did prepare a lot. Um, we knew going in that the three of us would have to work hard to adjust to our new positions, and we we sought a lot of help on that. Um, we actually we had a good uh, session with Mark Kennedy over the summer, and and he kind of shared that. With, and so we kind of we were all going in, and we knew that you know we might not have success right away, but we just wanted to learn our new positions and really own them and. You know, the fact that we have had the success is a bonus. But there's lots of season left, lots of things that we still need to learn and keep growing and, and that kind of stuff. So we're just still just doing our thing and, and focusing on what we can keep doing to get better. You're playing a new position this season, moving to third after several seasons as a skip. What has been the most challenging part of that transition? What is the one aspect of being a third that perhaps surprised you the most? Uh, I'm really enjoying playing third. I just like the supporting role that that uh the thirds play and you know you can it's just a different angle you can sit back and and the girls set up the ends and and you just kind of keep it going and um or you can make that one good shot to kind of turn an end around and set it up for the team so that's really exciting and also if I don't do that and kind of mess up the ends and Gary bails us out and and it's good so yeah it's just such a different dynamic but uh, I haven't played third for a really long time but I'm I'm really enjoying it and and it's been a good transition so far. Many curling observers were surprised that you made the transition from skip to third after the success you've had as a skip. Had you sort of made that decision that you'd like to play a different position before chatting with Carrie Anderson? Or was it a decision you made when it became apparent that such a move would allow you to become part of a fairly interesting lineup? Kind of an idea I had tossed around in my head for for a while. Um, just thinking, you know, maybe I would enjoy that position. And then kind of as things unfolded and that opportunity became possible. Um, our, the four of us came together pretty quickly, actually. Um, I, the other two were already chatting with Carrie, and I kind of threw my name in the mix, and and it worked out. So it, it was good. But, it's 
yeah, all the shakeups kind of happened pretty quickly at the end of last season. And finally, Val, more of a philosophical question uh, to end this interview. What did you learn about yourself and about being a skip in the last Olympic cycle that will make you a better third in support of Kerry Anderson in this cycle on your new team? Well, I, I learned a ton over the last cycle. Um, we, there was a lot of mental training. I had, had really good coaching and, and that kind of thing. And I think that carries forward no matter what position you're playing. So I think just reflecting back to the things that I did to make myself a good skip are, are definitely things that I still do now. I think that I have a good grasp on strategy and calling the game and seeing that kind of thing. I think that was one of my strengths and uh, I think I can share that at appropriate times. We've been working really well together and, and I'm, you know, on the same page as Carrie. We laughed a couple of times because, the three of us would be talking about a shot at, together at the other end, and then Carrie would call it, and I'd say, "Yep, good idea." <laughs> so it's you know we're we're on the same page a lot already, and and that's key going forward. So um, yeah, I think we, you know Carrie, all the girls have a lot of experience. Shannon through the Scotties and Worlds last year, and Brianna's pre-trials, and and Carrie's been in the Slams and the Canada Cup and the Scotties final as well. So. There's there's a lot of experience on that team and and uh, I you know we just kind of share what we know and if there's anything that I can help with as well then then that works too. And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for week nine of the 2018-2019 season. A big thank you to all of our guests and also a big thank you to you for listening. I'm Frank Rock and this is From the Hack.